Yeah, okay. Because I can see by your face you want to get into it. How can you tell? I'm just one of the out-of-focus guys. Here. Take it. Let's take a good look at it, all right? See, you love this T-shirt. It lets you say everything you want to say. Well, it speaks pretty loudly to it's me. It's a T-shirt. Do you give a shit about a T-shirt? I'm just hungry, man. Let's just go out and find some barbecue or something. Look, I'm always going to tell you the truth. Are you doing coke again? Oh, yeah, all the time. This is big stuff, man. From the very beginning, we said, I'm the front man and you're the guitarist with Mystique. That's the dynamic we agreed on. Paige, Plant, Mick, Keith, Blackmore, Gillen. But somehow it's all turning around. We have got to control what's happening. There's a responsibility here. Excuse me, but didn't we all get into this to avoid responsibility? I can't say any more with the writer here. No, 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 no. You can trust him. Say what you want. He won't write it. Look, I work as hard or harder than anybody on that stage. You know what I do? I connect. I get people off. I look for the one guy who isn't getting off, and I make him get off. Actually, that you can print. So, I don't know if people are aware, but there is, uh, I think, a relatively, I say relatively, uh, probably very popular compared to, to us, almost famous sort of uh, 20 years later podcast going on. Are you aware of this, Hiro? Really? No, that's, I'm uh, unfamiliar. That's not this. So if you have stumbled upon it, searching for almost famous podcasts, and you found Marcus Blade, don't delete anything. Actually, you don't even have to listen. Just keep giving us the subscribe as we drift off of... Uh, it's the guy who uh, it's called Origins, uh, and I think they did one season on like Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, you know, big pop culture touchstones that have a long history or been around for a while. Okay. Uh, but it's the guy who uh, wrote uh, or partnered up with uh, another guy to do the the ESPN book and the Saturday Night Live, like the oral history type stuff. So he's okay. I mean, that's a natural fit for podcasting, right? If you're going to sit around and interview these people, tell us your stories. We're not doing that here. He's got an audience and he's right. got access. Um, so, and I say that as yeah, someone uh, not us, you know, who's a big fan of Almost Famous, which is a film we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I've still not listened to that show. You would think I would listen immediately to all of that. I'm just trying to wear my indie podcaster, uh, you know, sleeve with pride, where it's like I went out my way to find something else, some 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 lowly scum like us. You're damn right. You know what? And we've talked about this behind the scenes a bunch of times. Is I don't want to bring you know the bill simmons podcast or you know the mark maron podcast to, to marcus played i actively go and look for i think the podcasts that i've brought this week don't have a lot of followers i, I like to promote the the up-and-comers all they do is slap us in the face afterwards <laughs> <laughs> one star <laughs> i'm actually uh, looking now uh, for for mine, uh, but it doesn't really relate to almost famous, so I'll withhold it uh, until it's time to to get into the weeds a little bit. Um, so I wanted to talk about, as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, the the out of focus guys coming off of Enemy of the State, um, mm -hmm. and I think that applies to more than just the uh, sort of belligerent 
and aggrieved Jason Lee character who feels he should be the most famous in a film titled Almost Famous of all the participants. Uh, I would say that's uh, that goes to like pretty much every character but Russell in this film. It also goes for every Jason Lee movie. The only time he's been the lead in anything is in that TV show where he was kind of like a redneck or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, you're yeah. right as, as far as the, the lead uh, capabilities, but... Um, I was going to say he's, he does have a, a switch where he can just play like the nice guy. Like he can go to, he's either the, like the ass, uh, cause, uh, Mumford is one we did on 99 from 99 where he's just like a totally chill, rich guy. There's like, I'd love to have a girlfriend yeah. and that's, that's his extent of his character. He's a nice guy in vanilla sky. I mean, another movie I brought up last time. I mean, he's not do he's not helping Tom Cruise identify the positives that he's got in Cameron Diaz. He's. He, Not quite that you know, nice. It would have only been to his benefit to be a bigger cheerleader for the Cruz DS relationship. Maybe uh, Cruz would have kept his grubby mitts off of uh, Penelope Cruz for Jason Lee. That's just smart. Yeah. Everybody would have won in that scenario. Smart tactics. So here, I you know you mentioned because you when I I said hey let's do Almost Famous you're like haven't we already done that and I'm like no we've never done Almost Famous episode but I later remembered that you cited Penny Lane and our uh, manic pixie dream girls right. topic. I forgot how much I dislike the Penny Lane character. Why? Well, she's certainly inspiring in many ways to to this young man. Uh, you know, you get the feeling that it's you know probably the first legitimate crush he's he's having, and she operates as like an older woman taking this young dork under her wing. Even though there's, I think, even a trailer moment scene where they're discussing their age and they're both lying about how old they are. And then they mm. both get to a point where they're, I believe 16 and 15 for her and him, I think respectively. I think he's 13. He's not 13, 13 years old. He's 13. No way. 15. Nope. I think. Okay. 15. God, uh, you know, Hollywood's already got a bad reputation <laughs> as far as their treatment of minors. I'm trying to, trying I'm to go even more illicit out there. I'm trying to give you what you wanted in the last episode with the Ben Affleck changes chasing the children. Well, I can never get enough of that, and that's certainly not not here. Um, I did read that that's ultimately the reason that Brad Pitt, who was attached to this for like months, if not like over a year, discussing it with Cameron Crowe, like you know, working on it together. Uh, ultimately, he couldn't do it because he just didn't want to play a guy that's like fucking a 16 year old, and no one really comments on it. He was going to be the Billy Crudup right. character. Yeah. Is that what you said? Oh, wow. That's a diff very different movie. Because now, I mean, Billy Crudup is a relatively handsome guy. Let's get into hot or not territory mm -hmm. here. But when you put that argument that they have, you know, about his looks are a problem and he's so good looking and yada, yada, yada. And you pan to Brad Pitt. And yet, why do I always end up feeling like I'm a joke to you? Look, you want to pretend this isn't going to be a very big band? Well, it is! You call yourself a leader of this band, but your direction allowed this t-shirt when you allowed Dick to manage us. Because he's your friend. Don't you see, man? The t-shirt is everything. All right, is it my turn now? Because I think we should, for once, say what we really mean. Oh, this is the part where you quit! Right, I'm so predictable. Deal with it! And let me just say what nobody else wants to what? say to you. Your looks have become a problem. You, okay, I got it. You don't even need dialogue you, uh, at that point. Oh, it's just like, mm-hmm. No. Yep. 
There's a reason that's the yep. only face we want on the T-shirt, and then everyone else is just secondary, a shadow behind him. You could have just ended the movie right there. Just all right, got it. Yeah, that's I a good point. You. I mean, maybe Understood. there's like maybe you lose a lot because uh, there's there's less to debate. Uh, I will say that Crudo probably fits the look of the time period more. Like uh, to me, he he looks like like what was a sex yeah, symbol back then? Yeah. I mean. Brad okay. Pitt is eternal. <laughs> Probably always, oh, always been a sex. The guy's got like a Lazarus chamber in his fucking house or something. Yeah. But going back to to Penny Lane, which I guess is the reason Mr. Pitt, you know, couldn't get comfortable with this this role. You know, she has a line, uh, which kind of goes into like a title drop kind of moment where she he, she's asked a legitimate question of like, you know, why why these people? Because this young kid, I think he he definitely puts her on a pedestal uh, and looks up to her in many ways. Uh, and sees her mistreatment, sees her being sort of used for a short period of time until there's... Traded for a case of beer. Right. Uh, and she says famous people are just more interesting. I, I'm actually proud. Like, I forget... I've, that, that's not like a uh, you-had-me-at-hello moment that's going to be repeated in, like, a country song or something or co-opted in any way. I'm actually proud of Crow, and it's one that I forget that he actually puts it in there. Because otherwise, Penny Lane is shot glowingly in this movie. She, I mean, she is looked at, like... As you would through the eyes of someone's first crush, I think, which is appropriate because it's young William's point of view. How do you view her, though? Like when you're watching her, you know, you, I was you have to obviously be cognizant of the machinations that are going on here. Right. She tells us, oh, we're band-aids and we don't have sex and no blowjobs or whatever, well, whatever jobs. So but there's, you know, there's some well, whatever. Room. But she's <laughs> she's getting taken to pound town, you know, and traded for for nothing and cast aside in a very sexual um exchange I, it's funny like i it's kind of i probably operated in reverse as i as i've aged because i remember as a teenager being sort of like horrified by this and i think because i'm watching this movie came out i was in high school i was excited about it because i'm a cameron crow fan fan I, I liked you know really like say anything in particular when i was a teenager i think that's a good time to like be you know i guess beholden to that that movie us I want Cameron Crowe back so bad, man. I've stuck with the dude through through a lot. Uh, I, I am a on the record. That Hawaii movie he did recently yeah, was, okay, I was. I was about to say I'm on, on the record as being a fan of We Bought a Zoo, which I think people are already like dropping. Off I like that movie. Yeah, that oh, was okay. good. You know, you're, you know, like the listenership for Marcus played. You're one of the, the 10 in the club. Scott <laughs> <laughs> ScarJo and Matt Damon. Where could we go wrong? I, I, I mean, I think Cameron Crowe doing animals. I love doing animals. A family film works so um but as i've gotten older i think i've softened on penny lane when i was a young teenager i thought that was terrible you know you're being used uh how, kind of like william like how can you allow yourself to like be that into these people they're all all of them are assholes like they're all charming but you know they, they have no uh what does philip seymour hoffman say like it's like they've got no backbone yeah, you know, there's the, the yeah. good-looking people. That that great speech, one of the best speeches in, in film, is the the, the uncool. I speech. mean, we could do an entire podcast series on just his character in this movie. It's a little depressing for me on these back-to-back episodes of us doing like Tony Scott, and then I think like like when he when he passed, that was actually a celebrity death that got me. Like because I, I yeah. had such memories of watching like Crimson Tide with my father and watching those last Boy Scout yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, that's why I gave them. I mean, I didn't give him the rubberneck treatment that, that I give would, all of these yeah. stars. You know, I'm on celeb jihad over here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, I, you know, 
the one time I, I I had to do it, man. Well, I'm you know I'm sure you know from the heavens he's respectful that his death is mentioned with celeb jihad in the same sentence of <laughs> showing respect. <laughs> I think I, I I had similar feelings now, although now they've been tainted by you, of course. Uh, watching Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, is that sort of mental yes. role where I'm just man, I'm just like it just hits differently now than it did then. Um, so I don't know if it's more like you know now I'm getting to the Maybe not quite the age Cameron Crowe was when this came out, but now I'm looking back more than like, you know, when I watch this, I'm the William character, I'm looking ahead. And so I'm sort of pointing out all the problems with Penny Lane. So that's to say that I have less issue with her now. Like, good for her. Like, she had a, she had like a wild, fun, like, teenage Yeah, no, years. absolutely. I think when I was and a teenager, I was, far more, for. I was far more protective for some reason. Now, as a, <laughs> I guess, a dirty old yeah. man, I'm like, go for it. <laughs> So, so you were the you were the kid, right? You were William Miller back then, you know, upset that uh, yeah. she was Yeah. But she's having a good, good time, man. She's living the dream. You know, she's she's partying with rock stars. I you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent that fuck it, man. That's when you're supposed to do that stuff. I might have extended my teens well into my twenties and early thirties, mm-hmm. you know, in this behavior, but you know what? I don't regret any of it. You know, I don't regret like all the parties and the crazy stuff I did. That's what you're supposed to do when you're a young man. Yeah. It's when you get to be 50 and you're acting like that. <laughs> that's, uh, well, eh. it's, you know, I'm kidding. The, the out of focus guys, which was the, you know, the, the, the sort of theme of this episode, you know, that's why it extends me to Penny Lane, uh, where it, di- it didn't used to, where, you know, all these people on the periphery, you know, some of the lines, I, I think with Cameron Crowe, you kind of have to go with things. Like, you, you have to actually, like, I, I think he believes everything his characters are espousing. I believe he is truly that earnest of a dude. And so, you know, there, there's some kind of cornballish stuff where, like, the, the sequence where William's, you know, operating as a journalist. And he's, like, excited because he finally got let in the door by this up-and-coming band. And he's right off stage. And he's trying to do his thing. And she, she takes this pen and it's like no no you just gotta you just gotta listen to the music and i distinctly remember as a teenager being like who is this fucking tramp to like <laughs> let, the man, oh my God. let the man do his job a tramp. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. but now i as i said as an old man i look back and it's like you know i have respect for people who are aware of enough to know that this is a fleeting moment and i think that the penny lane character does seem do you take notes in a movie no, uh, you know, I never had one of those. Uh, do you remember the sequence in High Fidelity? John Cusack goes on a date with a movie critic, which I thought, you know, was incredibly sexy and still is to me. But uh, where she has the, the, the flashlight pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I wanted one of those. I've never been that guy. I mean, I, I think I probably have pulled out my phone um, as long as it's not like a crowded showing. Like, because I'm I am very especially now that Apple has the dark screen. The dark screen it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, very much a help. But, but it's usually just tapping out. You know, like you would be. I'm sure you have like the the cuck holding criticism folder where every moment. Yes, <laughs> it's just something I want to remember that I may have forgotten, uh, which I'm sure I do every week with these these movies. But uh, what about yourself? Like, have, is, have you changed much? And because you you said uh, off mic that this is one you watch like I don't know, like annually at, at least. Yeah, oh yeah, I love this movie. And I, so has it changed for you as the the years have gone by, or has it? I, I'm closer to Cameron Crowe, you know, where I I revel in the magic of this era, like of this, like I I I, I look at it almost like a um, like uh, Richard Linklater looks at everybody wants mm-hmm. some, and these the way he 
reveres a time period of a life. You know, I watch, I'm watching Cameron Crowe watching himself, right? Telling that story and really loving uh, that era of his life. Because this is obviously semi-autobiographical when he was writing for Rolling Stone as a kid. And he he touches the movie with such like care and love and like uh, reverence that you know you can't help like that sequence that's very famous when they're singing Tiny Dancer on the Bus. Mm-hmm. It's so sugary, mm-hmm. but it's so fun. It's the perfect song. It's the the way, what they're coming off of that big argument, right? The, with the the t shirt and then acid and I'm a golden god and all this bullshit. And then but he comes at it with such like perfect timing, perfect love. It's the perfect song. They're on the bus. You know, I I like that. I like, this is the sugar that I want to take. I don't want it. It, it feels like honest sugar. If that makes any sense. I'm going to give you some sour right now. Oh, there it is. <laughs> well, cause this is just an ultimate troll clip. I have to admit. Uh, so there's, there's a few, I mean, more than a few. I, I shouted one out, like a very, you know, presumably popular one about Almost Famous. Al- Almost Famous, unlike, uh, you know, uh, your Savages selection from a few episodes back, uh, there's a lot of material. A lot of movie podcasts have talked about Almost Famous because it is oh, yeah. it is a classic now. I mean, it's it's. I think it's entered those ranks. We bought a and zoo. And so actually searching so for, like, clips, because the way I do it, I get on Stitcher and I, like, search mm-hmm. for podcasts that have covered it. Typing in Almost Famous gets you uh, uh, just an avalanche of shit. People name their podcasts Almost Famous. There's an Almost Famous Minute show, which... Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I... Is that what you brought to the table? I, I did not because I... I and I, I guess I could have, right? Because I, I assume um, that there's a minute on this out-of-focus scene that Jason Lee just rants. Uh, I did not. I went more <laughs> trollish where... Um, this is more coming off of the Enemy of the State episode where I, I was looking at stuff for the conversation uh, and that sort of 70s time period. And one that kind of struck me as odd that kind of kind of fits, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll go with a uh, you know, non-vanilla pick here is All the President's Men. And so the, mm. the podcast is Cocktails and Classics, which I – not to – uh, troll you here is uh, you know there's there's some drinking involved so the host oh, of, you know uh, I'm a fan yeah I mean. a true bromance uh, so it's you know the title of the show so they're gonna have you know a, a drink with their uh, their selected film they're talking about on this one the the speed and, and you know talking about the, the the time period for me was almost famous how I've changed watching it as a teenager when I'm closer to the character and now uh, they're talking about the speed with which uh, this true story and true like probably like front page story of Nixon's uh, ultimate resignation as president and the impeachment process and Watergate getting it to film and it being successful not only as a classic now that we look back to but being successful immediately was kind of surprising them because I feel like now if you had anything that was a big story like we, we saw a lot of uh, you know, uh, like uh, one I think of is a uh, jarhead with Sam Mendes, which mm-hmm. was about, uh, the Gulf war in the early nineties, but it came out right as we're going back to Iraq and problems of Af- Afghanistan. And I think a good example would be W the Oliver Stone movie uh, about good, George W. Yeah, Bush. That, Cause that one's, there's the immediacy, um, in both examples are primarily rejected at the box office where people are like, oh, you yeah. know what? I hear enough of this. 
And with W, yeah, like I remember some people like having issue with like, good God, the man's still technically in office. Like, <laughs> we're do- we're doing a movie, like you know, speaking on him as if he's you know already gone to the grave. That should that should alert you though, you know, because, uh, you know, what's the movie that really made money? The the Kevin Sorbo movie. The <laughs> which one? The, the, he does all those like religious movies now <laughs> to make money. I didn't know any of them. Well, I mean, I, I guess they're profitable, but I, I didn't know there was like a, is there a Citizen Kane? Yeah, like God is Real or whatever Kevin, it is. Is that or... the Citizen Kane of Kevin Sorbo movies? I got a good Kevin Sorbo story for you. For, uh... Is that uh, off mic or, or is that... Uh... Nah, we can do it on mic if you want to. You want to do it now or do you want to save it for the Marcus play like After Dark segment at the very <laughs> <laughs> end? No, I mean, it's not that crazy. I mean, I went to a, a Comic-Con one year and you know how they have... Have you ever been to a Comic-Con? Yeah, yeah, I've been to a Comic-Con. They, they have like the fan booths, like where I mean the act, like the actors, and you go, you pay like fifty bucks for Unlike a signature. Unlike you, I didn't wait in line for the the uh, my uh, God's Not Dead poster to be signed by the cast, but yeah, I've I've been to them. And uh, it was uh, Clifton Collins Jr. had a booth. Okay, which I was yeah, like, ooh, I, was, yeah. I, I consider paying for that because I like that guy. You got a traffic. Then they DVD had a couple that you can get signed. Oof, <laughs> love it. Um, but Kevin Sorbo was there, and. Uh, who's the guy from Walking Dead? The, the 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 tough guy, not the main guy, but the guy who rides a motorcycle. He has a crossbow. Oh, he's always at those things. He, uh, I know what you're talking. about. He had about. a line, yeah, that went around the freaking building. There's Kevin Sorbo's booth, and at the when you walk up to the line, there's a sign that says, you know, fifty dollars for a signature and fifty dollars for uh, seventy five dollars for a signature and picture or whatever uh-huh. it is. Poor Kevin Sorbo. Nothing? <laughs> this guy has a line. The other guy has a line that's going around the thing. Kevin Sorbo's sign started at 50 and then had a line crossed oh, through it. And dude. then it went to 40. You at least got to go, like, <laughs> get a new sign. Don't don't show that you've lowered your rates as you get to the... <laughs> and then cross four times, oh. I swear to you. And he was down to $7 for a signature and a picture. Still, no line for Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> that, uh... Yeah, that's. I mean, the days of Hercules, I guess, are long gone. I guess that's when he dominated that scene. But and this was well into his. Uh, I guess uh, you know the the fans of the Christian movies don't really go to Comic Con. I guess no. I mean, I I, I don't want to participate in those <laughs> particular ones. Uh, those are done under tents out there. But yeah, somewhere maybe I get Sorbo and uh, Lucy Lawless. Maybe they need to combine forces and get mm. those rates up again. Um, so embarrassing. So anyway, my my clip to to troll you. Uh, speaking of uh, headshots and pictures, is I know how much you like the technical aspect of filmmaking, and what's discussed. Uh, oh, they're God. talking about all the president's men just to troll you, the out of focus guys. Uh, they really emphasized um, keeping two things decidedly in focus that should not be. Like now, it was in service to. I don't know how recent you've watched all the president's men. Uh, about a year ago. Very talking movie, right? And oh, yeah. And going to yeah. what they were talking about. I will say something probably the, the normal person won't, wouldn't have noticed. Oh, shit. The normal person. Uh, you want to rephrase that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, beautiful use of the split diopter in this film. Uh, so who's a want to run that back for me? Yeah. <laughs> for so, all these idiots that don't know what that is, can you uh, tell us? Yeah. Explain it to everybody else, Don. Just explain it to the <laughs> listeners real quick what a so, split diaphragm is. Diaphragm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're talking the same. Can you tell me what a diaphragm is? Thank you. So, that's an industry a diopter. Term. A diopter is a like concave piece of glass that you would put in front of a lens 
basically that moves your uh, focal plane forward. Right. So, or actually closer to the lens, I guess. Right. Um, so you could say you can only focus three feet ahead. You'll put in a diopter in front of it, and it'll bring that focus closer. So then you could actually focus like one foot ahead of you or two feet. So a split diopter is only half the glass. So oh. there's the there's the initial phone call where he's um, talking to the guy, and he's he's like, oh, um, where he like volunteers that he's innocent when nobody asked him if he was guilty. Yeah. Um, in that scene, uh, Robert Redford is in focus, and the background is also in focus. Going over now, it's a behind the scenes of how this came together, but you're also going to repeat a story that, for the most part, American audiences are well versed in because it's very topical at that point. So they were just sort of right. emphasizing, like, "Hey, you've got to, you got to pull out some bags of tricks to make this make this feel riveting and immediate when it could very well feel played out." So I just thought it was an interesting interesting look at it because uh, i you know you and i both are coming at all the president's men whenever we discovered it it's ancient history it's like oh let's go back and see the definitive sort of nixon movie but um is it ancient history <laughs> anyway uh that's all i've got uh almost famous very good <laughs> i'm always hesitant to get uh, too much into politics because uh yeah i've kept uh there's you know uh war machine versus war horses is dead but the archives still live on so if anyone has any interest in it but i remember dave on uh, a podcast directed by a co-host there texting me because what's that uh show that's not covering tony scott so you don't need to subscribe God, but mighty. cocktails and classics very good show um because I'm notorious for uh, holding recordings and then maybe a year later releasing them. And <laughs> there was me and Chris Maynard discussing like, man, the Republican Party is a disaster. They were, you know, they were going to win another election. Like, what are they doing over there? <laughs> and of course, oh, yeah, in the, the age of Trump, uh, we were that doesn't we, age we well. were off. <laughs> we didn't put any money down. So, um, I, but I took this completely the wrong way. The out of focus, guys? Your topic. Well, yeah, let me, I let me throw a question to you then. Because just okay. to, to wrap my, my thoughts up with my podcast. Yep, go ahead. How beneficial is it for Almost Famous to come out in 2000 to be looking back with reverence at the 70s as opposed to being a film of its time? Like uh, one I did watch in preparation for this, and also just because I love Cameron Crowe, Singles, which just comes out in, I believe, what, 92? And it's about the grunge mm -hmm. scene. But it is like very much of its time and was filming those bands as they were getting ready to break out. And it's not held in certainly as high regard as Almost Famous, maybe for different reasons, but they're two very different looks at Cameron Crowe looking at a music scene. I think now we look at singles in a closer reverence, right? Because yeah. we're looking back mm -hmm. as the viewer, you know, the, um, the filmmaker doesn't have the reverence, though. You know, in, it's not in the film, right? It's not so tangible like it is in Almost Famous. I think, you know... It's background to the, the love story. It's just the music these people listen to as they're going about their lives. Right. And I think that Almost Famous also does that thing where... Well, it captures on that thing where we nostalgically look at a better time, right? The music was better back then. Remember the good old days and all the things were nice and sweet and you could trade a gal for some beer and you can... Uh, uh, watch her, you know, dance around topless with a furry coat and all that stuff. Remember those days, that. you know, we could sing on a bus. You bring up that brief, brief moment of nudity from Kate Hudson. 
sir. I don't let a nip slip fly slide by. Well, you know, good for you. Good <laughs> for you. Smart played. You still got twenty twenty vision when it comes to, comes to that. <laughs> uh, a lot of time on celebrity jihad again. But it's true though. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> is is uh, Celeb Jihad going to be the new uh, <laughs> the new running theme of uh, Marcus Played? They'd sponsor um, us. Maybe we get a banner ad of Marcus Played oh, and get some more one star reviews. Every time somebody clicks through, we get like five cents or something. The official podcast on cuckolding, and then everyone's like, "What? What the fuck is all this movie bullshit?" But yes, uh, we have a distinct audience. Uh, I do have an upcoming episode of the Skeleton Key uh, that I'm late on for Sober Cinema, and. Uh, you know, those are only like 30-minute shows, 10 minutes on Kate Hudson's ass. Me and the nasty Hellcat, like, can't. <laughs> we just can't. Mm. We just can't leave it. Uh, well, or should we? You know, I know I don't think you should. Gosh, I, I may have to shelve my podcast. <laughs> because, in all honesty, I took a you're, – because you're, you, we talked about the background, guys. Yeah. I took it completely the wrong way because the way you explained it, this is why I needed – I, you have this aversion to talking on the telephone. Everything is through text. I'm like, what is Mike saying here? What is he? What is this cat talking about? I took it as background players, what guys that fine. are always yeah. gonna be in the background, well, uh, like yeah. as far as actors. Get us off the the nip slips and the the, the ass talk. Let, let's you know, we'll finish up with some respectful <laughs> discourse. Okay, how about this? Yeah. I'll bring my podcast to the fold and see if I can clean this up. Yeah, sorry, apologies uh, in advance to this podcast. <laughs> I was listening to the John Revision pod. I like the name. Um, so, okay. So they, they talk about uh, uh, like uh, horror films, action movies, fantasy flicks, gotcha. that sort of thing. You know, um, and they were talking about Shazam. And I, I, I sought this out because Mark Strong, to me, is the classic, always going to be a background guy. Right? Uh, he yeah. and, and this... This podcast kind of uh, makes my point here with Shazam, which I really liked Shazam. I'm not a superhero guy, but I really liked what they were doing here. Um, they didn't really dig it as much as I do, but they were talking about Mark Strong has become like your go-to bad guy. If you need a bad guy, you could call up Mark Strong and he's ready. He's Voice. always going to be that second to your guy. Eyes. So his whole life has been spent trying to find this again. And when he does, he then decides to take the little eye thing that gives him the power of the seven deadly sins and then track down the person that the wizard chose as his champion to take his power. Uh, Mark Strong plays uh, Dr. Thaddeus Savannah and which I guess if you just need a bad guy, you cast Mark Strong. Yeah, he's like the most typecast bad guy of all. And he, like he's a good character actor, but again, he's never, he's never really called upon to do anything excellent here he's also quite funny um and he never does anything terribly funny there's a beat like when the um the magical eye the evil eye uh enters his head uh it's done so in a particularly brutal way like uh sandberg knows how to stage things for brutality and horror and that's mm. one moment that that works pretty well yeah and and i i agree that i don't think savannah's really asked to do much beyond just be the bad guy like you're saying starkly bald yeah. can never be the hero no, he's always going to be a, and we have tons of these actors that are. Always, that's why they call them that guys. You know what I mean? But Mark Strong is not quite a that guy, right? I would never call him that because he he is a very good actor, in my opinion. Like if you watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yeah, he's awesome, right? But he still even then is a background player. He's not quite the front man. 
No, which actually that's you know that's also a good pull that movie because Gary Oldman, known for being like a chameleon, like actually getting his first shot to be like the leading yeah. man hero. Um, uh, true romance hall of famer Gary Oldman. Yeah, I, I take some issues with with the way you do the, the hall of fame over there. Not in your selections, but you know your ceremony is so short. And it's, you're still uh, bitter about that, Kevin you Costner. Told me thing, you're aren't doing, you? Uh, Kevin Costner was getting inducted, and I expected like three full months of going through the entire Kevin Costner experience. Forty minutes is what you got over with too quickly. Um, I mean, it's not a bad gig if you can get it. Like, do we? Are we wrong to lament uh, strong supporting players? That's something I hate about the Oscars as much as I love Brad Pitt winning for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because that to me that's uh, already an iconic character. Like I, I was like you you the melding of Brad Pitt's persona with that character is old fashioned. Like that's the reason I got into movies. That's why I enjoyed them was having those type of roles. Like someone getting to play like just a cool badass guy. Someone you would want to be and that being awarded as opposed to mm. You know, first Tarantino movie to ever put me to sleep. One day we should do, you know, a topic on how on hang movies because you you and I both share an affinity for everybody wants some. Oh yeah. And when I came out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought this would be a slam dunk for you as far as just the relationship between two men, just hanging out with them, like you know what their 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 lives are like, and just drinking beers and just like you know tough guys like that the machismo that Brad Pitt's character have. I, when I listened to your, your podcast on it, I was shocked, uh, at just how, how wrong you were on it and still are. Yeah. I, I need to try it again. I, I think, uh, Tarantino has so much credit in my, uh, in the true romance bank that I think I, I owe him another viewing of that. Um, because I, it, to me, I, 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 don't remember the exact words that I used, but it was something to the effect of it's like when that friend you're riding in the car and they want you to listen to their song or whatever it is, you know, that thing that they I, love I actually, the most. I actually think that's like an apt point, but I feel that way about all of Tarantino movies. Like, I feel like he's just, I'm into my shit and you're along for the ride or you're not. And I feel like he's been consistent in that. I think he just went too far here, you know, into the Getting old, he went too far into the <laughs> too far. The, no, I mean, well, it, you know, how to make the sausage. He went too far into it. Like, he went too far behind the camera, in my opinion, with this. Like, I was like, fuck. Okay, bro. Tell me a better story. Tell me something. I just, I don't know. He just lost me there. I hear Mark Strong makes a good bad guy in Green Lantern, if you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think he was the bad guy. I think he was set up to be a bad guy. He's set up for the sequel the, course, to be the bad guy. Yeah, would, you knew watching it then that's never going to happen. Uh, going no. back to your, your podcast, like I like that certain actors like that get the spotlight when it's clear that they're never going to be the guy. Like I, you know, We start with Jason Lee as far as like you mentioned. He gets a sitcom lead, but he's never the guy. Yeah, he's not going to be that guy. Yeah. You know? Um, but for like the Oscars, that's why I lament about the best supporting category. It's like Brad Pitt, is he really like, I mean, I I guess technically he's supporting the, the, uh, so how would you reframe the arc of DiCaprio there? But he's not a supporting player. There's no science obviously behind the awards. The awards is the biggest bullshit in all of cinema, right? We all, but we, I watch, but I hate it. I hate watch it. Yeah. I mean, I love movies so much. I mean, we've lost the the thread on, I guess, initially what was supposed to, to the, the merit was for the, the the guys like Mark Strong, who 
you enjoy seeing and they play the, their bit part, pinch hitter, whatever, they come out of the bullpen, whatever sports analogy we're going to use, that's not Brad Pitt. Like, it's not someone who just is like, well, we'll let DiCaprio, like, fight out for lead. And that like, we'll just we'll just try to take all the awards. We'll just put all of our people right. in the categories. Um, because, uh, like, Brad Pitt is the kind of actor. He's, he's five guys in Hollywood right now that you say his name and money comes at him. Mm-hmm. Directors come at him. Scripts come at him. He has n- Mark Strong's not, not not to bring it to the table. Like yeah, that. like going like Cameron Crowe, like a, a red or I think I think it came from that podcast that we're not featuring because you know they're they're presumably making money off theirs. But um, Cameron Crowe like wept when Brad Pitt ultimately told him like Yeah, I just don't, I can't commit to this. Like, I just don't. It's just not my thing. Like we, you know, I, there's a lot I like about it. And can you imagine? I mean, and I actually understand it. Like if you're a filmmaker. And you almost have Brad Pitt, and then you get the phone call from him like, "Yeah, just can't." You have to think like, because if you have Brad Pitt, I don't know what sort of budget you can get, but you're probably gonna, their studio is going to meet your demands, and you're going to get this this you know this this opus to your childhood on screen just by one man saying yes, I'll do it. And he does have that power. Billy Crudup, very different. He like he fits into yeah. the character probably better and fits into the world. Uh, because we're allowed to have that sequence where there's even a debate about the out of focus guys. Is there anybody in Almost Famous, like ever? All of the players in Almost Famous are out of focus guys, in my opinion. Right, like, the closest. I think Kate Hudson has now become very famous, but at the time she was Anada. Yeah, I think she was initially supposed to be one of the the band aids, and I can't remember who. I can't remember if it was Natalie Portman that was attached to it with Brad Pitt. Um, I also right. saw Sarah Polly, which that would have been a very different take. Like I like Sarah mm. Polly, but I don't. It, it yeah. did not be a role I would expect. But for I think it, it adds some, like a layer of uh, of credibility, I guess, to his story that nobody like Brad Pitt would have outshined. It, it would have been like a Brad Pitt vehicle, really, because you put him next to all those people. You have to veer They're probably more all... into Russell's background maybe or it becomes maybe right. more of the Russell story which is it's interesting because it, it could work because so many people are focused on Russell it, like he is everyone is orbiting around mm. him anyway uh, but I, you know the, when I'm watching it now the only one that comes close is still a supporting player Philip Seymour Hoffman right is the only one that kind of sticks out because well, he just was so good but I'm trying to think was he ever like He's still never really leading man material, really. I mean, he won't Capote, but that's not like the kind of film where he's gonna. He, you know what? He was like when he was the bad guy in that Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. It might be as close as he comes to like really chewing into a big yeah, so, Hollywood so tentpole role. He was he, fantastic. He like dominates that that film. Like no one like. I mean, I love Tom Cruise, but it's he. Yeah. Feels overmatched <laughs> in oh, the yeah. scenes by far. You know, the interesting point about uh, you're saying how everybody would or- orbits around Russell, but they would orbit even more around Brad if Brad Pitt was Russell. I don't know if that's the case with uh, Billy Crudup in there because it, the way I view the film, like we were talking about earlier, is is this nostalgia point of – I'm orbiting sort of around the time period more than Russell. I like think that's, everybody's orbiting around their place in time. I think that's what it would change is not maybe the, the story being told, but I think that 
the audience expectations would be altered where it would hinder the film. Cause I think the audience would be like, okay, where's like, this is Brad Pitt's story, right? Where's more right. Brad Pitt. And with Billy Crudup sort of sinking into the role, you can tell me how awesome Russell is, but I don't ever feel like, Oh, we need to get back to him. Like I'm cool with the, the other characters, like having those feelings towards this lead guitarist, this up and coming star, but you put Brad Pitt in this. And I mean, almost famous is still an ensemble film for the most part. Everyone, I right. mean, even the band-aids like have their own sort of personalities and like sort of arcs within like, uh, is it Fruza Balk who gives, she kind of gives the big speech to Russell at the end about, about fandom and about like the, you know, the pure fans versus those that purely are grifting on fame and like really don't care. Like <laughs> go back to your Kevin Sorbo thing. Like, you know, <laughs> apparently where are his pure fans that no matter like you know, no matter how long it's been since Hercules, like they still fucking love that show. Or where are the the God's Not Dead people? But like, you have to nope. imagine the people that were lined up for him in the late nineties. For the like, you know, <laughs> Hercules hasn't changed. It's you. It's like, oh, that's I'm not really into that anymore because you're just not as famous as you once were. And I think that's ultimately what she's lamenting is like, you know, Penny Lane's character. Yes, she has that sort of. I guess I'm condemning her for that line. Like famous people are just more interesting than normal people. But I don't think you can question the fact that she legitimately like loves Stillwater and she loves what Russell is doing in Stillwater. I, I don't think that's just fake. Cause I, I think, Oh, I bet she does. Well, you know, the, the guy go get ice sometime and he's really good at it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, if need be, she could go with any of those other bands. If she just wants to be around famous people, she wouldn't care if she was traded for a case of beer because she's still around another big band. It wouldn't hurt. Like right. So I don't know. It's just it's just a, a great movie that doesn't really, I think, shy away from the flaws of really all the characters. Even William is not – it's not like he's pure by anything. Like he's – that's what's so great about that yeah. uncool thing is yeah. he liked feeling included. He liked feeling – famous and one of the guys and it's not that he maintained journalistic integrity but i don't think the film is condemning him for it it's just it's just human nature yeah he's a kid he's gonna want to be imagine being a kid and being in that environment right like you would be the same way it's like if you were on the film set when uh when uh richard linklater put yourself as a kid on the film set of some richard linklater movie dazed and confused for one all those starstruck would you be like uh, i mean just you know, me allowing myself to be spanked by Ben Affleck. Mm, now there's a party. <laughs> I don't regret it. Like, I, I know saying that that's definitely going to be, you know, this will make the cut. But I'm I'm cool with being on the record for that one. I'm bad with my uh, political predictions. But I stay true to Ben Affleck and presenting myself, I guess, to him. And giving, giving, your, giving your anus over to him. Got it. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Billy Marcus Crudup, Slab Jihad banner ads coming. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Crudup is a background dude. You know, has he been in a leading role? Like I hear, hear turned away just, from it. This, it seems like purposely. I mean, I can't. Yeah, is it purposely? You know, I mean, he's got the big blue dong, but he's not a. I mean, that's as big as it gets. <laughs> Literally, yes. But, <laughs> if he wants it to be the size of a planet, yes. It, it kind of. Takes me into this into this uh, sort of mindset of like people who should be background players, like Jesse Eisenberg, right? Mm-hmm. I see where this is he's going. He's kind of a dude that probably should be, 
but you see him as like a big character in Social Network. You see him as a big character in the great Adventureland. You know, do you think this dude should have stayed in his in his lane? Or are you talking about Jesse Eisenberg? Like, should he? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like a person like that, like a really critical. Should he be a big star? Where or should be he leading movies more than Jesse Eisenberg? Because Jesse Eisenberg is leading movies. I think so. Yes, um, I, I think it's safe to say I'm not Jesse Eisenberg's biggest fan. I don't really have much against him, but if you're if you're telling me like, hey Mike, ten movies are about to be made, uh, we're gonna go with one actor for all ten. You want to spend. 20 hours with Jesse Eisenberg or 20 hours with Billy Crudup. Side unseen, I'm going with Billy Crudup. It's just Billy more, Crudup. It's just more appealing to me. Um, that said, though, he does make – I mean, he I, he ruined uh, the Lex Luthor movies you know, with his casting there uh, to go a little nerdy on you. But Are you saying that as a service? Of, Are you saying Jesse Eisenberg sabotaged <laughs> bad movies for no, the greater I good? No, just his presence, just his existence. <laughs> It all up. <laughs> like we were pausing, that was a heroic act on his part to just put a stop to the DC universe. Oh, but like when you talk about like Adventureland, that's a movie that I that instantly loved, right? And that I, I don't couldn't see it without anybody else. You know, I you put Billy Crudup in that role. Right, he's a little older, yada yada. But young Billy Crudup in that role, I don't think it works as well. He's too good looking. There is, you know, the, the bane of the excessively handsome. Is that they're never allowed to become bald and hideous Mark Strong. I relate. It's the struggle is real, Mike. <laughs> so I think the struggle is me. I think we're gonna walk around with his face. Continue this uh yeah, the, the the struggle is definitely real for you. Um I think we're gonna continue this conversation uh next week Let's do it. with Adventureland and what is your topic to tease our uh ten listeners? Okay. Uh, so like I was saying, talking about how like how much I love you you were really shocked when I told you that I loved Adventureland. Hated it crept into once upon a time, upon a time in Hollywood. Love Adventureland. I missed on these. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a romantic at heart. You know, as as crass as I can be, and my celeb jihad uh, annual subscription renew and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm a romantic at heart. This movie, I don't know what it is. It was love at first sight. Um, so that's what I want to talk about. I, I want you always talk about how you don't want to get personal about the movies, and yada, yada. you don't want to bring your 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 passionate shit onto the podcast. Yeah. But I like to pull, I like to pull and push. Okay, so I want I want to talk about movies that are instant classics. Like you walk out of here, like oh my god, I love that movie. You know the chefs of the world, the Adventurelands of the world. You know, such a natural statement <laughs> from millions of people. <laughs> the chefs and Adventurelands of the world. Okay, we'll get into that uh, next week. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to approach this one uh, because I'm, I think I'm going to be like backpedaling because I'm just so uh, confused with your love. So I, I hope that you, you come out strong and give me a lot of material to work with because I'm, I'm coming in with a blank slate, basically. Mm. Well, that's great. <laughs> great podcasting. <laughs> Next week, hit that subscribe button. <laughs> All right. It's like we got the house to ourselves. Still she stood there waiting like she knew what was